Welcome back to the show that tells you, you are a quantum computer with free will, making choices that will forever change the course of history. My name is Justin Riddle, and this is episode 34 of the Quantum Consciousness series. In today's episode, I will be defending free will and exploring three possible ways that free will might find its way into quantum mechanics. By the end of today's episode, we'll ask the question, can we escape the fundamental nihilism that is determinism? This episode is available on YouTube, and an audio-only version is available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, then please like this video, subscribe to this channel, leave a comment below, or for the audio listener, write a review. Join me inside the mystery of numbers. Come and hop a metaphysical Zero concepts become objects and then become quantum. Join us for an episode of quantum consciousness. So in this episode, I'm going to first set the stage, the backdrop of why free will is challenged by a lot of mainstream scientific opinion and discourse. And then I will kind of go into some of the basics of quantum mechanics as it relates to this question of free will. And then I will provide three different types of um, ways in which free will could be expressed within quantum mechanics. The first way in the multiple choices that are presented through a superposition. The second way through the quantum Zeno effect and how we pay attention to one thing or another and that builds up a propensity um, for some set of actions. And then finally, this idea that the computation itself, the meaning of the computation that is being processed in a quantum system might have some implications for the values held by that system. Um, and this is all very abstract, but uh, we're going to go through each of these um, one at a time. All right, so to begin with, we are within this modern scientific paradigm where determinism is sort of the the mainstream typical way of thinking about the universe. So to kind of really explain determinism fundamentally, it's the idea that you have A causing B, causing C, causing D, and there's this sort of system of laws and rules in place where one event necessarily causes the next event and so on and so forth. And so if we were to understand the sum total of all forces at play in the universe right now, then we would be able to 100% predict with certainty the next stage in this process. And so everything is determined by the previous state. And so there really isn't any room for anything like the, the concept of free will, this sense of having agency or having choice. Um, in a deterministic universe, there is no room for going beyond determinism, and something about free will kind of feels like it goes beyond or is separate from determinism. And so this is really easy to defend. Um, the parameters involved, the sort of set of things you have to buy into is very easy to describe and in order to defend an idea like free will, you really have a sort of indefensible 
position here and a very hard task to kind of suggest something beyond this much more simplistic framing of the universe. Um, so the burden of proof is often on the person believing in free will. And in preparing for this episode, I watched a lot of different YouTube videos about free will. And it, it is kind of sad, uh, just the kind of derisiveness at which people talk about determinism and free will and just sort of blanket rejecting any sort of argument to the contrary. Um, so I'm going to kind of put my neck out there and try to defend free will um, against <laughs> against these forces of uh, simplistic models that are easy to defend. Um, and I want to set the stage even more broadly that, you know, why are we defending free will? Why would we have this push, this conviction that we have a sense of agency and that, you know, our choices are meaningful. And if I could just, you know, brainstorm a little bit about the types of things which are hard to describe in science and which are hard to defend, um, the three things that came to my mind first were the sense that we have a whole self, that I am a single person with a name. If you look at biology, there's all these little pieces, all these parts of your brain, genetics, chemical transmissions, hundreds of billions of neurons. Where is a single person in all of that mess? Really, yourself is just some epiphenomenon, something you're just calling yourself, but really there is no scientific basis for the self. This is, once again, sort of the, the, the dogmatic mainstream opinion. Second... Uh, your choices don't matter. You don't have free will. Um, you're just along for the ride. You don't exist. Your choices don't matter. You are just a chemical concoction and voila, here you are. Everything's happening. Um, and to me, that really strips away a lot of the meaning of our lives where, you know, the sense of being a human being, being a self, making choices in the universe. I mean, this is all we know to some degree, right? Experientially, we have an identity and we make choices. This is a huge part of our reality. The third element that I can think of um, is the sense of now, being in the present moment. We are always in the present moment. We feel like we have a self and at every moment we're faced with choices. What do I do right now in this moment? How am I going to live my life? And so in a bizarre way, everything that it means to be a human being and to go around the world and the way that we think about and conceptualize ourselves, there is this mainstream argument from science that you aren't real, your choices don't matter, and the present moment is an illusion time is reversible and, you know, time is an illusion, people will even say. And there really isn't a concept of the present moment even um, within modern scientific theory. So what I would push back against is this very authoritative way in which a lot of very smart people will tell you, you know, everything about your experience is an illusion. Everything about what you think is going on is entirely wrong. Nothing matters. We're just a bunch of billiard balls bouncing around in a giant pool table of the universe. And, you know, your entire life is a lie, essentially, according to this sort of 
mainstream dogmatic um, opinion. And so I think this is really uh, demoralizing. I think it's kind of dehumanizing and it really puts you on the, the back foot trying to defend your experience. Everything you know is being a person in the moment making choices and now the very fabric of who you are is questioned and we're sort of clawing at scientific theory to salvage a sense of self, a sense of choice, and a sense of being in the present moment and these choices mattering and making some difference, right? Um, and so I think there is a little bit of hubris um, in the scientific community that we figured everything out, we're dotting the I's, crossing the T's, we just need to put the icing on the cake of scientific theory and because we've built so many great um, technologies and we have such a great predictive theory that we're so close to the finish line and science is virtually done. And I think this is what I am um, going to argue against, you know, quantum computers are here. Quantum biology is here. There's revolutions happening that are at the early stages. And I think we're going to see a total upheaval of a lot of these closely held scientific beliefs and not that science so far is wrong but what i've been exploring in this channel um, if you've been watching you know in sequence or you've been watching a number of videos is that there is a lot to the physical world to digital computers to determinism you know there's a place in our metaphysical description of reality for all of these physicalist ideas and frameworks. Um, but they hold one aspect of our reality and we're just now scratching the surface at other aspects of reality that will come about. They will be scientifically described. They're not necessarily beyond science in principle but they might be beyond our current imagination of what science holds and what science um, can be and could be in the future. And so I know this is a little bit of hand-waving, um, a little bit of magical thinking, maybe, but is it not magical thinking to say that determinism has solved everything? You know, where is your magic in your theory? Um, I think a lot of the magic is shoved off into these quote unquote new age, you know, quantum consciousness ideas or people, you know, it's maybe a little more personal here, but, you know, people looking at quantum computers as opening up the, the door to new ideas, new frameworks of science. Um, but, you know, in saying that determinism holds all the keys to living in the present moment, to having a sense of self, to having the perception that our choices matter. You know, determinism needs to demonstrate why we've come to have these beliefs and why this is such a universal experience. Um, and how do we explain qualia and all these other sort of philosophical aspects of the human condition? There is a lot of explanation that needs to take place and it's not necessarily fair, in my opinion, to push that burden of proof onto people thinking about new paradigms and thinking about new ways of conceptualizing the self, conceptualizing free will, but taking our experience seriously and trying to grapple with the human condition and explain it through the emerging new paradigms coming out um, in physics and biology. 
And one final anecdote before we dive into this. Um, so I was teaching a course on quantum consciousness uh, back in the day at Berkeley. And while I was teaching it, you know, I would often engage with random people in these in these topics. And there was this one encounter which really stood out in my mind. And it was someone who I was living with um, in one of these student co-ops there. And he was a uh, math PhD student. And we started talking and I brought up free will. Um, and he just went off. It was like, how dare you, you know, tell students that free will is real. You know, we know that this is not true. You're misleading the next generation of students here. And this is like a travesty that that you could support free will in any sort of way. Um, and there was a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And uh, yeah, it was like shockingly uh, kind of devolved into personal attacks against me. Um, and, you know, I tried to keep my cool throughout that whole thing. But it but it is very interesting how discussions about free will really fire a lot of people up and really touch deep into some core way that we conceptualize our place in the universe. And just by talking about free will, it can be very challenging to a lot of people and it can really fundamentally get under your skin to even talk about these topics. So I think it is important to talk about, um, but I fully acknowledge and realize that, yeah, this is almost like an intense conversation for many people. And, you know, I've said it before, like the the need for philosophy of mind, I think, is not a luxury. It's not just like a fun, you know, theorizing that that we go into, but it actually is core to how we think about ourselves and how we make decisions about our lives and about our futures. Um, and so I think I think it is a serious topic and it is something that uh, deserves our, our attention in a in a real fundamental way. All right. So prior to quantum mechanics, there was sort of this like clockwork conceptualization of the universe where everything is like a clock. It's moving. There's gears. This is sort of the industrial age conceptualization of self where there's gears and pulleys and machines and it's very digital and concrete and you can really pull a lever and shove a gear and then things are changing and happening and at the fundamental level the universe must be like this machination of human thought and the human reality and so we're just along for the ride computing and crunching away through this you know metallic reality um, but then quantum mechanics came on the scene and essentially what quantum mechanics uh, provides us with is this idea that the fundamental particles or systems in the universe are undergoing this superposition, this evolution of a quote unquote wave function, which is a probability distribution of various possible futures, right? So we have a photon, for example, it's going along and it hits what's called a beam splitter. This is a half silvered mirror where there is a 50% probability that the photon reflects off that uh, mirror and a 50% probability it passes right through. And so what quantum mechanics tells us is that the photon actually enters into a probability distribution, a superposition of going through both of these different possible realities simultaneously. So it gets reflected and it passes on through 
And now the photon is sort of in this limbo state between these two possible realities. And so all of this, according to quantum mechanics, is deterministic through the Schrodinger equation. So there is a way that you can define and derive the different probabilities that the photon is going to be in at any given point. And then the bizarre part, or the part that breaks determinism, which is non-deterministic, is that if you introduce a measuring device, and this is you know one of these hard to define things, and there's a lot of work being done um, on this front, but you measure the system and you ask the system, you know, did it get reflected or did it pass straight through the beam splitter? And here, that wave function is reduced. So we have unitary evolution, and then we have reduction. We have a reduction of that probabilistic superposition state into one of two possible physical realities. And that reduction process is non-deterministic. And so the way that people think about it currently is that you have these two different states and you can define the system as a probability distribution where you have a coefficient associated with each of those two different possible states. And then there's something called the Born rule. And this means that you square the coefficient of both of these different states. And that is your probability that you're going to end up in one or the other after you get a measurement. And so this measurement process applies. It chooses randomly or stochastically, which is just another word for a random um, process. And then it gets forced to be in one or the other. And so the question is, is it that simple? Is it just that there is a randomization process um, ignoring the complicated idea of how we define what our measuring device is, but are we just sampling from a distribution and this is another force of the universe, sort of a randomizer at the core of reality that's randomly picking things? Um, and this is an open question. You know, we can conceptualize this randomization process in the ether. It's easy to write down on a piece of paper or, um, yeah, to think about mathematically, sort of a uniform distribution. You're sampling from this perfect mathematical construct of a distribution, and then you're, you're choosing one of these things randomly. Um, but is that a real process in our reality? And this is one of these fundamental questions in quantum mechanics is we have these sort of two different processes that are at odds with each other. Deterministic evolution of the wave function, and then this jump, this sort of like break in reality where we jump into one state or another, and this is not time reversible. So while you're in this unitary evolution, time is flowing forward and backward, um, but then once you make this jump, you cannot go back in time. It's time irreversible after this, this sort of break in the deterministic flow. And so this jump, this reduction step, is really one of the core mysteries in quantum mechanics, often called the measurement problem. How do we make this break in deterministic reality? And so a lot of philosophers have stepped in to say, because this is an example in physics that is not deterministic, maybe there is room for free will to step into the equation 
because it feels like free will is not deterministic because it wouldn't be free, right? Um, and so maybe there is a chance for us to have this break in, in reality and we can introduce some more humanistic concept of a sense of choice or a sense of will into the reduction process. So now that I've set the stage here, I'm gonna dive into three different ways, three different models for how free will might play a role. And I think these are, in my eyes, you know, the three ways that free will would have to make some sort of impact here. Um, and as a trialist, um, if you've been watching the show, you're, you're aware of this, there's monism, you know, overly optimistic idea that you can describe all of reality with one set of principles. There's dualism, the idea that typically there's mind and body and that you need two sets of descriptors for, for this. And then trialism, the idea that there are three aspects to reality fundamentally and you need to describe each of these three aspects and their interactions. Um, typically, you know, I subscribe a lot to the Roger Penrose conceptualization physical world, a mental world, and sort of a mathematical conceptual domain, um, the world of meaning. So the, the three different types of, of ways that free will might play a role, roughly, you know, organize into these three different domains. So I'm going to describe them to you with respect to those three worlds. All right, so the first world, the physical world, we talked about the Schrodinger's equation and how it evolves a superposition of all these different possible physical realities that you could be uh, realizing. And so the idea here is that this is like a multiple choice selection for you. So, you know, watch some other videos to get some more background here, but let's assume that you are a quantum system, you are a quantum computer. We're gonna sort of anthropomorphize this, this quantum system here, and you in the moment are presented with different possible physical realities, let's say these are different brain states corresponding to different actions, and you enter a superposition of different possible choices that you could make, and then you, being the observer, you say, I wanna do this action. And perhaps you make that choice you decide to collapse the wave function into this setting or that setting, and then that agency is non-deterministic. There was a choice that was made by you within this system, and then it collapses to that reality. Um, and Henry Stapp and John von Neumann talk about this um, in particular, the idea that if you're presented with different choices in superposition, your will makes a decision about doing this choice versus another one. And then after you've made that choice, um, according to Henry Stapp, there are um, repercussions. So the physical world gives you options, you make a choice, and then the universe, broadly defined, is a, a third force here, which then constrains and says, well, did this really happen or did this not happen, right? So choice is presented, your choice, and then the reality of whether or not that choice actually occurs involves some more, um, in my read on, on his, his take of this, it's kind of like this broad entanglement web, this network of associations in a broader context, and nature's choice 
also steps in. So the universe gives you physical choices, your choice, and then nature's choice. And there's sort of this cyclic movement through these three different processes. Um, and that is how free will finds its way into, into physical reality. Um, of course, the assumption being that you are a highly integrated quantum computer within biology and you're having some influence on which superposition inevitably gets selected. All right, so that is our first framing, and I put it closest to the physical world because it's sort of a multiple choice reality between these different physical options that are presented to you. So the second framing of free will is really coming once again from Henry Stapp, but he's banking on this intuition from William James. And you can watch the Quantum Zeno Effect episode for a, a deep dive into this particular theory. But the idea is that we really have a free won't, a way that we can accept a pattern of thought or we reject a pattern of thought. The only choice that you've ever made in your life is do I keep paying attention or do I stop paying attention and you have sort of this engage versus disengage decision and that is the sum total of the choices you've ever made your brain gives you thoughts you don't really know where they came from and you entertain those thoughts or you let them go where did this thought come from i don't want this thought i'm going to disengage and inhibit that thought or i'm going to allow this thought to keep occurring and so in this framework there's this phenomenon called the quantum Zeno effect, which is the idea that after you make a measurement, the subsequent evolution of the wave function takes place starting from the location that it was collapsed in. So I collapsed to choice A versus choice B, and now the evolution of the wave function emerges from the location of choice A. And so if you measure really quickly again, you're more likely to end up back at choice A on the second measurement. And if you measure very quickly, you essentially can lock the choice into that particular location and you're able to pay attention to a choice by repeatedly collapsing onto that choice. So once again, we're identifying the human mind into some sort of quantum system, some sort of quantum computer, and then after a choice is made, you really want that choice to occur. So you're kind of focusing your attention. You're repeatedly collapsing your mind's wave function onto this particular decision. And then that is growing some sort of physical potentiation by repeated collapse because that deterministic force is being sort of manipulated and driven by this, let's say, mental force um, focusing on one train of thought versus another and you're really enhancing and effortfully attending to one physical state at the exclusion of the others and then you create a propensity for that state. Um, so once again, I mean, of course, there's so many assumptions going into all of these different frameworks, these different models, um, but hey, these are different ways where if we identify the human mind with a quantum computer and we allow the quantum mind to have some sort of influence or agency over this collapse process, this non-deterministic reduction, this is what the manifestation could look like. All right. 
Now, the third and final way that free will could be manifest, um, this in my eyes, and this is sort of my own creation, uh, thinking about creating this episode, is we have multiple choices in the physical world. You're choosing from those. You have the free won't or the free will keep doing that uh, in the mental world. And then this one I'm sort of defining as form will. And so the idea here is that the platonic world, the third world is the domain of mathematics, of concepts, of ideas. These ideas, these mathematics, these concepts are universal, they're sort of transcendental, they go beyond any individual person. The concept of a square goes beyond you, it goes beyond me. There is something that is a square in our universe and there's this domain of mathematics and this domain of meaning that is genuinely real. We're not just creating meaning individually, but there is a domain of meaning. And this is Plato's world of forms, right? This idea that there are forms, mathematical forms, and we subscribe to these different forms, to these different ideals. So what this would look like in a quantum computer and in a digital computer also, you have a digital computer, let's just start there. The digital computer is deterministic. We can set it up, we can program it, we tell it do this, do that, do this, do that. And yet, the computer can process meaningful information, right? So when I'm computing some sort of information, it is functionally and deterministically identical to a, another computer that's just processing garbage, right? There is no difference in physical deterministic reality through a computer computing something very amazing, like these, you know, just to tap into modern culture right now, chat GPT, these language models, they seem to be processing something highly interesting to the human condition. And yet, you know, that looks identical from a purely deterministic standpoint to something computing garbage. So what is the difference here between a meaningful computation and a meaningless computation? And so the Platonists of the world would say that there's something non-computational going on here, something beyond determinism where the meaning of the information that's being processed is going above and beyond just like a physical description of reality itself, right? And we need to tap into what are these algorithms? What are these computations fundamentally? As a quantum system is evolving through time, it's not just you know a superposition of physical realities and then we just choose one and it's a bunch of billiard balls going into superposition and collapsing in a chaotic you know, pool game. But instead, as they're moving through space and through time, there's actually a computational process at play. It's not just a quantum system, it's a quantum computer. And the transformation of one physical state into the next physical state is an inherently computational process and there's something meaningfully being transformed as quantum systems move into the future. And I think this very idea 
really goes beyond these very deterministic frameworks of thinking about the universe. You know, is it just some energy optimization? You know, that is sort of the most simplistic framing of of what this computation could be. But we as, you know, human creators of technology, we can run computations that seem to have a lot of inherent meaning. You know, we're computing uh, the shortest path between two points. This might be an energy landscape reduction. Um, I mean, maybe it all comes down to, to energy minimization. But it appears that we can compute higher forms of meaning through our computational processes. You know, what are prime numbers? What are these mathematical concepts like pi, like the golden ratio? You know, there's these bizarre numbers coming out of our mathematics. Are these numbers real? Are they just made up? Are they just imagined? Is there something more fundamental to what is being computed and what this computation is? All right, so that's kind of the setup for the, the form will. So if we have free will, could there be some expression of our will in the forms that we are processing as a quantum computer? So let's say you're a quantum computer. Once again, the major assumption going into all of these uh, different framings, the computational process that is ongoing is some mathematical form. There's some format to the computation. There's some sort of type of, of computation that, that is being engaged with. And so as we're making decisions, you know, assuming we're a quantum computer, are we deciding what computations to apply? We're taking some sort of form and applying it to this situation. And this, I think, would be a more expanded viewpoint of free will beyond even just paying attention to something, even just choosing between the options that are given to you, but you're orchestrating the computational process itself. And I think what this would mean to the human experience is like, I have a set of values, a construct of meaningful forms that I believe in and what that belief is, is that when I'm faced with a novel situation in my, in my life, in my reality, I'm applying a certain set of computations to that situation. I'm given a situation, I apply some value structure manifested as some type of computation, and then that value, that mathematical form, processes that situation and then gives me a series of actions that I then carry out. So here the form will, I mean, maybe that's a little cheesy here, but I have a free will of form application. I'm providing a form to this situation and my free will is expressed through that computational process fundamentally. All right, so that to my speculation is the way that I would think about free will playing out, right? So multiple choices in the physical world. A lot of this you can find in Henry Stapp's work, um, in John von Neumann's work. The idea of free won't in the mental world, this, this sort of entertaining of an idea or the letting go of an idea. 
And uh, this might have something to do with the quantum Zeno effect. Once again, Henry Stapp talks about this. It taps into William James. And then finally, form will, which is a bit of my own design here, but it's applying some sort of mathematical form, thinking about the computational process at play within a quantum system, and do we have a choice of what computations are applied to our situation. Um, and I want to end this episode by talking about why do we have a need to salvage free will. And what I would argue is that in determinism, there is such a fundamental nihilism inherent to the theory. In determinism, your choices don't matter. You're just a genetic, electrical, chemical concoction, and nothing matters intrinsically. And while there's kind of the criticism against free will proponents like, uh, you're just trying to redefine free will to make free will happen. Um, I want to throw that same argument back at determinism. You're just throwing a bunch of sort of ad hoc definitions for meaning to escape nihilism. And I think there's such an inherent fundamental nihilism that no matter what mental gymnastics you apply to your conceptualization of determinism, it's fundamentally nihilistic and it just feels really defeating to engage deeply with determinism. Um, maybe this is my own um, experience with determinism, but I feel like just as we, we just need to tap into our sense of what free will is, you know, we don't really need to define free will and I haven't defined free will in this episode because we all know what free will is because we're embodied we're an experiencing human being and so we know what free will means and i don't need to sit here defining it for you and similarly determinism is a set of principles and we can entertain those principles but nihilism is inherent to that framing and i don't think you can define your way out of deterministic nihilism we create our own meaning. You know, I don't know about that. I, I don't think we can create meaning and and live with it <laughs> to, to my own to my own perception. So I'll leave you with that. Um, I encourage you to think deeply about these ideas. You know, are you a self? Do you have choices in this world? And are you in the present moment? I would say yes to all three of those aspects of ourself. How is this going to make it in science? I don't know. I think that quantum mechanics feels a lot closer to the human experience. And there's, you know, a lot of elements to quantum mechanics that tap into the human experience a bit more. And there's room to explain what we're experiencing. Um, but let me know what you think out there. And I'll talk to you again real soon. <laughs> <laughs>